You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit harvestyorkregion.ca. All right, let's get our Bibles out and turn to the uh, book of Philippians chapter 1. Once again, as we continue in our series, In Between, our message today is a worthy life, and that comes out of Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, where it says, let your manner of life be worthy. Now, let your manner of life be worthy. The word worthy means deserving of something. Um, A word, a worthy person or thing has qualities that make uh, people respect them. Um, We're to be called, we're called to be people who live worthy, specifically of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're called to do it in this in-between time in our life. I I used this rope illustration about uh, six months ago as we were uh, talking in our church about some things and uh, the consideration of what I was when I was a kid and then growing up through my um, making money and marriage and all that time of life and then as we come to retirement and what all that meant. But the whole point of it was, was I've got this little bit But the rest of it is living for this, right? We're not living for this. We're living for all of this and living for eternity. Well, the reality is in our our message today, we've got the in-between part. And uh, so for the sake of the illustration, if this is the timeline of my life, I'm somewhere probably about here. Um, I wish sometimes it was back here, but it's probably more likely right about there. And, and that's what I have left as the opportunity. That's my in-between. That's what I have before I get to, for me to live is Christ, to die is, is gain. And so as we think about what God's called us to and think about his working in our life, and we're in the in-between, we have a little bit of opportunity And how will we use it for the glory of Jesus Christ? So you've got your Bibles open, I trust. Now let's stand. We want to honor God as we read his word. And I'm going to start in Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents, but this is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake.' 
engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and the reality that we can hold it in our hands. We can explore it. We can read it. And through the power of your spirit, uh, you transform our thinking. Father, we pray that today you would give us ears to listen carefully to what your word is saying. Minds, God, to comprehend and understand. But then, Lord, that we would be changed and we would walk out of here different people, passionate to serve you, to live out lives that bring you glory. Guide us in your word. Father, I pray for the person in the room today who's here, who's never trusted Christ. Uh, maybe, God, this would be the day you would open their eyes, remove the veil, and they would move from death to life. Lord, we give you this time. And at the end of it, we ask, God, that the way we could explain what happens here is look what the Lord has done. So do your work in your way for your glory. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. Well, three things we want to take a look at uh, today about a worthy life. And here's the first one. A worthy life is made through prayer and the power of the Spirit. We're called to live worthy. And Paul talks about a couple things in these first verses. And I've said a worthy life is made through prayer and the power of the Spirit. Look at verses 19 and 20. For I know that through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Through your prayers. Through your prayers. Uh, one of our four pillars in our church is believing firmly in the power of prayer. And Paul, as he's in his condition in prison, suffering for the Lord, was encouraged and blessed by the prayers of God's people. Um, said it's one of our pillars here. We believe in it. We trust God in it. And last night before the service, we had a, a group of people in my office and we prayed. Before the services today, there were people in my office again and we prayed. Uh, during the first service today, there were a group of people who were meeting and who were praying. Chris already talked about before the service that they met in the back and they prayed. On Sunday night last week, we had a group of people here and in our first Sunday and up in Newmarket and we were doing what? We were praying. When we get together in small groups, we spend a, a, a large portion of the time in prayer. Why? Because we believe firmly in the power of prayer. We believe when we pray, God works. And he loves it when his children come and pray. I was so encouraged on Sunday night. If you weren't here, you missed it. But we had a lineup of people on both sides talking about what the Lord has done and how they've been blessed and giving praise to God in, in prayer. Uh, not much encourages me more than when people come and say, hey, pastor, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you. I got a text message on uh, Friday morning from one of the men who comes to our church. And his comment was, Pastor, that's a big passage you've bit off for this Sunday. I just want you to know I'm praying for you. Who are you praying for? Who have you told recently I'm, I'm praying for you? Is there a list of people? Do you have a group of people you pray for on Monday and a different group of people you pray for on Tuesday? And See, it was a great encouragement to Paul as he's sitting in prison knowing that people were praying. 
And we need to encourage each other with that as well, knowing it's what God desires and he wants us to do, that we would be people of prayer through your prayers. Paul knew that the prayer of the people and his prayer was foundational to what God had called him to. He was dependent on prayer for his ministry. And we are dependent on God's people praying for the ministries that God has called us to. We need to understand that nothing will be accomplished if God doesn't work. And therefore, we're desperate for him to show up. We ask him to come and be in this place and fill the atmosphere as we've just sung. Of, are we crying out to God? Are we allowing him to search our hearts? Are we people of prayer? Through your prayers... We're dependent on it for our ministry. We're, we're desperate for it because we need God to do a work. Otherwise, your getting out of bed and coming here on a Sunday was a waste of your time. And so we're desperate that God would come and he would show up and he would reveal himself to us and we would listen to what he is saying. Ultimately, because we know that God is our only hope. That's where our hope is. And so Paul says, for I know that through your prayers. May we be known as a church that prays, that cries out to God, that asks him for our help and wisdom and strength because we are desperate and he is our hope. A worthy life made through prayer, but also through the power of the Spirit. He says right in the verse, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Paul knew that he wasn't in it by himself, although many days it probably felt like that when he was in prison, but he knew the Lord was with him. He knew that the Lord would never leave him. The Lord wasn't going to forsake him. He knew that he had the power of the Holy Spirit of God in him. The Spirit of God that when he trusted Jesus Christ as his Savior on the road to Damascus, uh, back in Acts chapter 9, that, that Spirit that indwelt him on that day, the spirit that he was baptized into, into Jesus Christ. The moment that he was saved, he received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of God that sealed him in Jesus Christ. One of the great workings of the spirit of God that doesn't get a lot of press is the sealing of the spirit. Um, it is a picture for the people as they would understand how a letter would be sent. And, and so when, when something was put in the letter, then it was closed and, and a seal was put on it by the person who was the sender. And the only person who was allowed to open it was the one who was the receiver. And you are sealed in the Holy Spirit to be opened by God himself. What a great hope we have. See, so Paul says, through your prayers... And the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ. How much time do I spend? How much time do you spend on a weekly basis crying out, oh God, help me. Help me today. I'm going into my workplace. It's going to be difficult. That person is becoming more and more antagonistic. And, and we, just try and, we just try and burden it through and push through it. And, and we don't cry out to the Lord. And we're not asking him for his strength and his help. And... When I was saved, I was baptized. When I was saved, I was dwelt by the Spirit of God. When I was saved, I was sealed with the Spirit. And as we are growing up in Christ, in salvation and then in our sanctification, we are filled with the Spirit of God. We, we sang a song where we're asking God's Spirit to work in this place today. I don't believe that's wrong. I believe that's really correct thing to do. 
But I also believe that the filling of the Spirit isn't something that you get to church on Sunday morning and go, okay, Lord, you better come through. And we presume on God. I believe ultimately the filling of the Spirit of God comes when we're obedient to him. When we're people who are learning in the word. And the filling of the Spirit is something that happens just as much by the result of what God is doing because we're in a place where we can be used by God so that he fills us and he takes us and he uses us as it is that we're something that we go after and ask for. You want to be filled by the Spirit? Confess your sin. You want to be filled by the Spirit? Obey God's word. Right? And so Paul says, Paul says to them, through your prayers... And through the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the Spirit who comforts us when we are in pain and our heart is palpitating over whatever the thing that's just happened to us, a a great loss or a huge disappointment. And and you watch and you see believers who just lost someone in a tragic event and, and they're thankful to the Lord. And God's Spirit comforts them. God's Spirit not only comforts us, but God's Spirit gives us wisdom. And God's Spirit protects us. A worthy life is made through prayer. It's made through the working of the Holy Spirit in us. Paul says at the end of that verse, um, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, that this will turn out for my deliverance. My deliverance. He, the word is kind of nebulous. It's not really clear as to exactly what he was saying because we see the tension in the rest of the verses was, was the deliverance so that in the rest of this time he could go and be with them or was the deliverance for what would happen and he would, his life would be taken and he would go and be with the Lord. Um, it's not clear in the text and he proves it over and over in the verses as he talks about the challenge that he faced. But here's what he knew. He knew God was in control and he knew God would deliver and whatever God wanted, that was fine with him. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? Lord, whatever you want, that's what I want. That's what I want to go for. Verse 20, he says this, and it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Three things I saw in that verse that he talks about that he didn't want to see or wanted in his life. The one is he didn't want to be ashamed. Didn't want there to be anything in his life that he would be ashamed. When he stands before God, there would be nothing. In your week last week, was there anything that you did that brought shame to the Lord? Maybe a promise that you made to someone and you didn't keep. Maybe sin that you allowed to rule in your heart. And and as you sit there and I talk about it, you're on the, would you please get on to the next point? I'm really not comfortable with what you're talking about right now. He said, I don't don't ever want to be ashamed. I don't ever want to bring shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And maybe that's why you needed to come to church today was just to hear that one statement and before God, you can get that right right now. He said, I don't ever want to bring shame to the gospel of Christ. I don't ever want to be ashamed. And then he talks about courage. He says, um, but that with 
full courage. Not just courage, but full courage. Now, as always, Christ will be honored in my life. Courageous courage for what? That Christ would be honored in his life. When the opportunity comes, I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to weasel out of it. I'm not going to step away, but with full courage, I will be bold for Jesus Christ. Not arrogant, not proud, not obnoxious, not a pain in the neck, but rather courageous for the Lord. And when the door opens, I'll walk through the, door, the, door, uh, through the, the way, Lord. I want to be used for you. I don't want to be ashamed. I want to be a person of courage. And that's what I'm going for. That's what Paul went for. And then the last thing he talked about, he says that Christ would be honored, that Christ would be honored in his life, whether by life or by death. A worthy life is made through prayer and the power of the Spirit. Well, Paul goes on in the verses, and I said this, a worthy life is modeled as our example. I love the fact that Paul doesn't just go, do what I say, not as I do. Right? He's going to lay it out for us, some things that he wrestled with as he sought to model what a worthy life would look like. And I just want to walk through these verses one at a time and have us consider them, verses 21 to 26. Here's the first one he says, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. One of the most powerful verses in the entire Bible, one of the most amazing verses in the, in the entire Bible. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is is gain. Now I've got to tell you, the second part of the verse is easier for me than the first part of the verse. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Okay, when I die, I'm going to worship the Lord in a place that he has prepared for me. We're going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. When I die, the Lord Jesus Christ will be glorified and I'll be immediately in his presence. Gain. It's all gain. All gain. Right? It's like amazing. Now, we don't understand it all. We don't understand how it'll all work out, but, but we get it. Heaven's going to be awesome. To die is gain. That's the second part of the verse. But the first part of the verse isn't quite so simple. It says, for me, for to me, to live is Christ. Hmm. In the in-between, for me to live is Christ. Okay, now if I hadn't given you all that I've just said, but rather handed out a piece of paper when you came in and said on it, for me to live is blank, what would you have written in there? Now, because you all would be good, good Sunday school people, you would all know that Jesus is the right answer to that question, right? But what would you really have written in there? For to me, to live is my spouse, for to me, to live is my kids. For to me, to live is my job. For to me, to live is the upgrade I'm looking for in my position. For to me, to live is a bigger house. For to me, to live is, and I think if we're honest with ourselves, really honest with ourselves, we would stumble over saying, for to me, to live is Christ. We understand it theologically, and it's still true, but the reality is we get caught up in so many other things. And so Paul, in his example for them, he says, let's remember, to live is Christ. 
That's what everything is supposed to be aimed for. Is it wrong to have a good job? No, it's not wrong to have a good job. Is it wrong to have a wife? Of course not. Is it wrong to have kids and want good stuff for them? No, it's not. But the problem is that's what we live for instead of living for Christ. For to me, to live is, is Christ. Sometimes it's hard to keep our priorities straight and we put other things on the throne and it's not really about Christ. In verse 22, he goes on, he says, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor to me. If I am to live in the flesh, if I'm not going to be with the Lord, it, it, that means fruitful labor for me. Regardless of where he was, he was in prison, obviously not being able to really see all the benefits that were coming out of what he did. The writing of this book, the writing of Ephesians, the, the writing of Colossians. He never saw what the benefits of all that was. But here's what he was committed to. Wherever I am, whatever the circumstances are, I'm going to live a fruitful life for the Lord. Even in the difficult time, even in the hardship, as you're working through whatever it is, Lord, help me in this context, help me in this place to be fruitful, that my labor would be fruitful. It's a sad contrast to the way that uh, some of us live and we're so wound up in our situation and the discouragement maybe that we find ourselves in, that fruitfulness to the Lord and for the Lord is something we very rarely even think about. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain, and if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor. But I don't know what I should choose. I, I cannot tell, he says. Verse 23, I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to part, to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. For my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He goes, I, I, I'm stuck. I'm, I, I'm wrestling with this. I, I was thinking about that and myself. And can you say that? To depart is far better. Yeah, if you read your Bible and know what it says, we're like, yeah, yeah, we get that. That's not what I'm talking about. Is that what you would actually say today? Okay, I'm ready to go. Right now, Lord, if that's what you want, let's make it happen. Because to depart and be with you would be far better. Or, my struggle, your struggle, um, not yet, Lord. There's some things that aren't done yet. I've got that person. I really don't want to stand before you and not have that fixed. I haven't really committed myself into my family like I should have. The priorities haven't been what they wanted. I haven't always wanted what you want. And so to depart and be far better. Uh, actually, Lord, I think I want to hang around here a little bit longer. Paul struggled with it. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, far better. Uh, Spurgeon said this about this verse. He said um, that he had a desire to depart, and the de desire was a strong one. The Greek word has much force in it. Um, Spurgeon words. He panteth, he longeth to be gone. Paul knew he was coming to the end of his life and he was ready to go and he desired to go and be with the Lord. He wanted it. 
Not in the sense of somebody who wants to kill himself, who's gripped with gloom and darkness or tired of the world and the cruelty of other people or, or the crisis of suffering. It's not like that. It wasn't like, I just want to get out of this world. But rather, I want to be with the Lord because temptation and sin and its domination and the struggle, it will be, it will be over for me and I will go and I will be with Jesus Christ. To depart is far, far better. Verse 24, but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. I really want to go, Lord, but it's more necessary for the church. It's more necessary that I stay. Why did he want to stay? See, we want to stay because of stuff and possessions and things that are unsaid or undone. And he said, um, I want to stay because it's more necessary for you. More necessary for you. Verse 25, convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. Stay for your progress and your joy in the faith. It's interesting, that word convinced is not a really strong word. It wasn't like, I'm totally in on this. But rather, I've had to be convinced that to stay is a better thing. But he shared with them two things and two major reasons why he wants to stay. And the two things were, first of all, for their progress. For regardless of the circumstances, they, I want to see you progress and I'm going to press on and that's what I'm going after. And then the second thing he wanted to stay for was to see the joy, the joy that would be in them. We talked last week about joy, of being about satisfied in the person of God, the purposes of God and the people of God. So, so why did Paul want to hang around? He wanted to hang around so that they would progress in their faith, their sanctification would continue. He wanted to stay around so that their joy would be complete. We tend to want to hang around because um, there's some things we need to get done. And, and we get so caught up in this for the wrong reasons that we don't even want this yet. Paul said, I'm going to live in the in-between, and I'm willing to stay. He wanted to go, but he was willing to stay so that they would progress, there'd be progress for them in their sanctification and in the gospel, and that their joy would be complete. So why do you want to stay? Why do you want to stay? See, I think in our world today, we got people who want to stay because their priorities are for things. And I want to stay because my kid's a pretty good little hockey player and I want to see him get to the NHL. He's a good soccer player. I want to see him do well. He's a good student. I want to see him get A's. She's a good dancer. He's a good dancer. I want to see them in the ballet. Paul wanted to see them progress in the gospel. That's all he really cared about. What a tragic day it would be if any of us ever stood at the gate and talked to Peter. I don't believe we're going to do that, but we stood at the gate and talked to Peter. Well, welcome. He goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to wait until my son got in the NHL. He doesn't know Jesus, but he's in the NHL. 
See, we get it all mixed up sometimes. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. It's gain. And then in verse 26, he says, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus. Paul didn't say that you can glory in me and what I've done, but he said, like, I just want to come so I can be with you again, again, so that you will glory in what Jesus Christ has done. That struck me this week, and I wrote down this question for myself, and I asked the question for you. Who is giving God glory because of you? Who is giving God glory because of you? It's really neat after a service and somebody comes and talks to me and they tell me what the Lord has done in their life and they're thankful for something that's been accomplished or your kids come and they talk to you and they're, they're blessed by something that's happened and they, I'm thankful, I'm thankful what the Lord has done through you. That's what he's saying. And that should be something we hear from people. Our lives should be such that, our lives should be such that people are being changed and God is getting the glory through us. And let me hasten to say we need to be people who communicate that to each other a lot. I am thankful to God for you. Remember Paul said that last week, I thank my God upon every remembrance of, of you. And we need, to, we need to be way more about that. And again, not, I didn't say I thank you. He said I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And I think that's what he's going for here, convinced of this. I know that, that I will remain, but that you may be, have ample cause to give glory to Jesus Christ. And so Paul kind of lays out in these verses his struggle, his tension, his desire to go and be with the Lord, but to stay with them is more important because he wanted to live a life that was worthy. Well, the third point, and when he turns it on its head towards us, is in verse 27 to 30. A worthy life is marked by the gospel of Christ. A worthy life is marked by the gospel of Christ. And so now he turns it, and he's really talking to them directly. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Right, that was Paul's purpose. Paul had one purpose, the gospel of Christ. Not, not the peripheral things of life. That wasn't his purpose. Not a better job, not a better home, not a better standing for his kids, not a better... That wasn't his purpose. His purpose was the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it wrong for me to want to have a great relationship in my marriage before the... No, it's not wrong. It's wrong when it gets on the throne. Is it wrong to want what's best for my kids? No, it's not wrong, but it becomes wrong when it gets on the throne. Is it wrong for me to want a better job? No, it's not wrong, but it becomes wrong when it becomes the thing that's on the throne. And he says, my, my purpose, my only purpose, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Christ. The good news of what God has done for me. 
That's my purpose. It needs to fill me. It needs to be what I'm about. It needs to be who I talk to and why I talk to them and so that they too would hear about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We saw last week, and as a result, people would become bold in presenting the gospel because they saw the purpose for him. It wasn't some phony thing he put on once a week. It was what, who he was. His purpose was that people would know Jesus Christ and know him crucified and that they would come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. His purpose was, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. His purpose was, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ the Lord. His purpose was, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. His purpose was, for by grace are you saved through faith and not of yourselves. It's a gift that comes from God. It's not of work so that nobody can boast. His purpose was that people would know Jesus and then grow up in him. And that needs to be our purpose. And if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ, you have to understand why Christ came. He came so you could have eternal life that you didn't deserve and you didn't earn but was offered to you through the sacrifice, through the payment, through the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's a free gift that's offered and all you have to do is believe and receive it. And as followers of Jesus Christ... We're called to be about that one thing. That was his purpose. The focus of it says, only let your manner of life. Literally means live as a citizen. That's literally what it meant. You live as a citizen of being the gospel, about the gospel of Christ. He's going to come back to it in chapter 3, verse 20. He says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the focus here says only, only. Make that about what your citizenship is about, what the, that what's foundational to you. That was the focus. And then here's the testimony that he desired for them. He says, standing firm in one spirit with one mind. He says, here's what I want for you. I want you to stand firm in one spirit, in with one mind. Committed to the things that God's word is committed to. You're focused on what God's spirit would have us do. We, we work real hard at that around here, seeking to stay focused on what God has called us to. Why? Because God's spirit, God's word has called us to these things. And we're going to stand firm in that. We're not waffling away from it. We want to be bold in it and courageous in it. Not arrogant, not proud, but bold and courageous in it because God has called us to it. We're going to stand firm in one spirit. With one mind thinking the same things about these things. And then he says these words, striving side by side. Last week's message was called In It Together. Striving side by side. You know, the elders meet just about every week and we have some pretty good discussions sometimes. Once in a while they even get a little heated. I wouldn't say angry, but you know, you got strong-willed children in the room and sometimes we want our thing and, and we get talking and... You know, we've never left the room not in unity, ever, ever, because we're standing firm, striving together in one mind. 
And the things that we don't agree about are the things that are kind of out on the peripheral and we're not sure what to do with them and we're trying to figure it out. But a lady last night in church said uh, that was the verse that, was that she prayed for her kids. That they would be a family, that their family would stand firm in one spirit with one mind. What a great verse to pray for your family. What a great verse to pray for your marriage when you're struggling. What a great verse to pray when you're hurting and it's painful. Lord, Lord, would you do that in it together? And in the next verse he says, I'm not afraid, not frightened in anything by your opponents, not afraid. That word uh, not frightened is the idea of like a, a wild herd of horses that have been spooked and they're running and you're like, oh, get out of here right this. It's not like that for us. We're not frightened. We're not afraid. In the face of the opposition, Paul wanted the Philippian Christians to have the same boldness that he had. And I'm going to stand, he said. I'm not going to be afraid. I'm going to do what's right because I know this is all coming. This is really what I want. But until it comes, I'm going to live in between. And I'm not going to be frightened because I know who goes with me. I know who is my helper. And what's the worst thing they could possibly do to me is promote me to this I won't be afraid I won't be afraid the end of verse 28 says this it says that this is a clear sign of them of their destruction when the world stands up against us and we stand up against the world it's a clear sign of their destruction. Why does the world hate Christianity so much? Because we've offered eternal life to them and they've rejected it and walked away from it and want nothing to do with it and they hate us because of it. Because godliness in the life of a person is a demonstration to the world that they have no hope and we're telling them that the hope is in Jesus Christ and they believe their hope is in themselves. They believe the end is whatever they want the end to be and we're saying the ends thereof are the ways of death. You're going to be separated from God for eternity and no wonder the world hates us. When we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, a people are changed. The world will hate us. I wrote these three things down this week. When Christians stand strong against intimidation against the world, against the flesh and the devil, it shows those spiritual enemies that their ultimate destruction is certain. It's certain. When our spiritual enemies fail to make us afraid, they have failed completely because they have no real other weapon other than fear. Regardless of what comes, no matter how hard it will be, I will trust the Lord. But when we fail and are frightened by our, the opponents, we give hope and confidence to our spiritual enemies. Even though it's a false hope and a false confidence, because their destruction is still assured. But he cries out to them and he says, we're not frightened in anything. In anything. And yet when the boss who is strong and powerful and threatens your job or the family member who is in your face and uh, we need to remember that he is greater. 
And we need to remember that we win. And we need to remember that we're not in it for us and our fame and our job and our, we're in it for God's glory. Paul finishes up with a reminder for them in verses 29 and 30. He says, uh, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you you saw that I had and now hear that I still have. I kind of wish he just finished with the first part of, uh, of that verse where he says, for it's been granted unto you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe. They just believe get all the good stuff, right? We get all the good stuff. You believe you have salvation. It's all great and it's all wonderful and it is. It's all that God offers to us and it's the source of eternal life and we need to rejoice in that and we should hallelujah those things. But he, he goes on in the verse and he says, not only believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. Suffering. I said last week, I'm going to say it again, that we want this book of Philippians to be about joy, 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 and how we get it and how wonderful it is, and it is. But it's about joy in suffering. That's what the book's about. It's not just about joy. It's about how we get joy and how there's joy for us in Jesus Christ in our suffering that we would even be counted worthy to suffer for Jesus Christ. And knowing that we have eternal life taken care of for us, sealed, baptized, indwelt, it's a done deal for us. We have the hope, but we're called to suffer. And I don't know what it'll look like in the next five years or ten years. I just know it's changing. It's not going to be like it is today. But I also know that God has promised that his grace is sufficient for me. And God doesn't give us grace that we don't need right now. But he will give us the grace we need to go through the thing when we need to go through it. And that's a great hope and a great promise. I believe verse 30 is uh, kind of Paul's way of reminding them about verse 21. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw that I had and now have, and now hear, that I still have. He said, you're going through in a different way, but the same kinds of things that I'm going through. And so he says this. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. So live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what? So what? We're in the in-between. Living in a way that seeks to put Christ on the throne every day. Living out for the glory of God. Living a life that's worthy through much prayer and dependence on the Lord. Living a life that's worthy because God's Spirit will go with us and will be our helper living a life worthy because you've had lots of examples in your life of people who have sought to live like this. Paul said, be followers of me as as I am of Christ. We see in the text the things he went through. And live worthy because we're citizens of heaven. And it's what God has called us to. God helping us to be people of God, worthy 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live a life worthy of what Christ has done in saving you and live it for the fame of the name of our Savior Jesus Christ that we would bring glory to him. All for his fame, all for his name. Let's pray. Lord, uh, this is your word and we thank you for it. Thank you for the way that you take it and you work it in our lives. And Paul wrote this letter to this church and they, they wrestled, they watched, they saw his struggle and yet they were called, they were called, God, to live a worthy life. And we are called to the same. So Lord, the conviction that's been in our hearts today, would you bring us to the place of brokenness about that? Not just, oh, if I can just get out of here, I'll forget about this. But Lord, I'm gonna deal with it. The thing where Christ is not on the throne, where we can't say for to me to live is Christ because there's something else that's more important. Oh God, break us of that. Father, for the one who needs encouragement today, for to me to live is Christ. To die will be even better. Where encouragement is needed, where help is needed, where strength is needed. Father, you promise through the power of your spirit to go with us. So God, do your work in your way in each individual in this place. And I pray for those who are in the room right now who've never trusted Jesus Christ that they would understand who he is and what he has done for them and what the gospel has accomplished and that they would turn in repentance and in faith and follow Christ. And they will be able to say, for to me, to live is Christ. To die is gain. God, your word is perfect and faithful and true. We pray, God, that you would work in our hearts to do a work in us that would bring glory to our Savior. We pray these things while we live in the in-between in Jesus' name.